Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Generation Elect. Today we have a lot to talk about. Um, the headline news of the week was that on Wednesday, Joe Biden released his nominee for vice president, and that would be Kamala Harris. The three of us will review and analyze that pick and see what it means for the upcoming election. We'll also preview next week's Democratic National Convention, which is modified by COVID and will mostly be held virtually, but is expected to be the big party to nominate Joe Biden as our Democratic nominee for president. We'll also talk about Trump's effort to defund the U.S. Postal Service and other big political news of the week in a really crowded week. Um, joining me today, uh, I have my co-host, Griffin Roeder. How are you? Doing well, Henry. How are you doing? I'm doing really good. Thanks for being here. Also with me is Jack Newell. Hi. Hello, Henry. <clears throat> yeah, so um, we have lots to discuss, and the first headline thing is, a few days ago, Joe Biden announced that Kamala Harris was his pick for vice president. Now, we did an episode six days ago uh, wondering who his pick was, and unfortunately, Joe Biden released it two days later, so that episode remains the lowest viewed episode in Generation Elect history because of that, but hopefully this episode will do a bit better. But anyway, now that we know who the pick is, it's Kamala Harris. Jack, what are your initial thoughts on Kamala as Joe Biden's pick? Well, my uh, initial thoughts when I immediately heard the pick, uh, I was a little disappointed, but I was uh, satisfied with the pick. I don't think she was my favorite, but I still think she's a uh, solid candidate. And as I heard her uh, speak and addresses more and more recently this week, I've come around more as well because I think she's done a really, really good job uh, being a huge attack dog for Biden and really uh, going after the Trump campaign really well. And I'm excited to see her debate uh, Mike Pence for the vice presidential debate. Yeah, Griffin, you think this is the right pick? Um, Now, I wouldn't say Kamala Harris (laughs) is the best pick for vice president, but I was not surprised in the slightest when Biden picked Harris as his vice president. Uh, what I was more surprised about was the reaction to the picking of Kamala as vice president. I thought many people would actually be quite angry, especially given Kamala's record as a prosecutor. However, it was actually quite the opposite reaction. Many people were very happy. They were applauding the first um, African-American woman to be the vice presidential nominee. In fact, the first African-American woman to be on a major party ticket. So I guess, I mean, history is being made. Certainly. Yeah, I mean, I do think that the last 12 months in the Democratic world have been very tumultuous and nasty and a lot of attacks from a really polarized party. But I'm glad that after Kamala Harris was announced, I think most people, I'm saying most because there are some people who, are, who will be unhappy with whatever Joe Biden does, but most people zoomed out and said, this is great. We have the first woman of color on a presidential ticket. Kamala Harris is probably, you know, one of the best options. I, we trust her to, you know, be one of the leaders of the Democratic Party in the future. So I think it's good that we zoomed out. We saw the forest from the trees and we um, agreed that, jo- that Kamala Harris, although she wasn't personally my number one or number two pick, I preferred Warren or Lance Bottoms. But Kamala Harris will do a fine job in this role. And it's really great that she can make a partnership with Joe Biden after they attack each other so much in the primaries. It's really good and unifying that they can come together like this. Um, electorally, uh, for the election, uh, Jack, what do you think um, the impact it will have on the voting process? Will it swing any new voters over? 
I'd say it'll have uh, little to none. Uh, yeah. I think, you know, vice presidents or running mates uh, don't normally have a huge positive impact. It's more about minim- minimizing the negative impact. I don't foresee Kamala being an issue uh, for Joe Biden as much as Trump tries to paint her as a member of the radical left, despite the quote radical left not claiming her and obviously is upset over her record as a prosecutor. Uh, I don't think she will hurt Joe Biden. And I do think uh, for voters that were already voting for Joe Biden, she might uh, make some of them more enthusiastic and promote more uh, grassroots organization. Yeah, Joe Biden uh, lost the enthusiasm poll, which uh, is a pretty good metric of who gets elected president. Uh, he, uh, it turned out that Trump voters are more enthusiastic to vote for their candidate than Biden voters are for Biden. And Hillary Clinton lost it four years ago, and she didn't do herself any favors by picking Tim Kaine, of course. But Griffin, do you guys and mobilize Democratic voters to go out and have a higher turnout? Um, yes, I think it will mobilize Democratic voters. It will motivate... It will motivate several black voters to go to the polls. I think it will also motivate several suburban voters to go to the polls. Um, Additionally, progressives who were previously turned off by Biden, given the fact that Kamala is more progressive than Biden, not by that much, but at least marginally more progressive than Biden, they're likely to turn out. And given that it's really a low point for Trump, um, I think many Democrats especially are very confident in uh, winning the election. And also, if Biden is elected president, Kamala becomes vice president. Whoever uh, Newsom, the governor, will have to appoint a senator to fill Kamala's seat. And California is a very safe Democratic state, so you're not going to mm-hmm. expect a competitive Senate election to follow in that state as well. Right. There are definitely some... Uh, worries with other vice presidential candidates that could trigger a Senate conflict, but I'm glad we avoided that there. And uh, yeah, I mean, you were saying that like uh, Biden is already ahead in the polls and that you know made me think about this is the first time a woman's bet on the presidential ticket where she hasn't been used as a way to springboard a candidate forward. Uh, in the cases of Mondale and uh, John McCain, they picked a woman to save uh, their doomed campaigns pretty much. But I think it's it's interesting that this is the first time that a campaign that's well ahead in the polls has picked a woman, a woman, of, a woman of color, no less, uh, to, you know, partner the partner, the runaway leader in the polls. And that really says a lot about where the Democratic Party has gone and how comfortable we feel in this moment. Um, do you think uh, you're talking about governing uh, Jack, the job of vice president effectively? Is she what is she what Joe Biden's best uh, uh, looking for in this role? Uh, I don't think she will be, uh, I, like, I don't want to, you know, keep hitting this point in the head, but, uh, you know, I don't think she was the best potential uh, partner for Joe Biden, but obviously yeah. he seems to trust her and uh, I feel pretty confident that he will try to have the relationship uh, with Kamala that he had with uh, President Barack Obama and keep her in a lot of the important decisions and, take her advice very seriously yeah griffin your thoughts on how a a vice president kamala would govern do you think it would be any different than how biden uh biden's role under obama's administration so well just clarification for our viewers the vice president of the united states has technically very little power the only thing the vice president really does is break ties in the senate however there is a strong potential and i think it will happen that biden could 
give some oversight of certain branches of uh, policy to Kamala Harris in particular, perhaps criminal justice. Um, for example, and this happened under uh, the Obama administration as well. During the Obama administration, Biden was tasked with managing the stimulus package um, passed in 09 during the recession. I think Kamala Harris will likely be appointed to serve to govern on some tasks such as criminal justice, uh, probably not foreign policy, uh, the economy potentially, but I'd say most likely criminal justice. That's where she'd probably yeah, be I think main expertise. Work with the attorney general in some respects as she, you know, if she wasn't the vice president, she would probably be picked for the attorney general mm-hmm. job. But um, if Biden does win the election, I think that Kamala will be one of the most influential Democratic vice presidents of all time. Uh, Biden, Biden pitches himself as a transitional candidate, and that's really the right way he should pitch himself as. He's only going to serve one term, and most likely he's um, very old. His role is to, you know, summon the new nation of Democratic Party leaders, and he, you know, will try to transition the whole base to that. But, um, you know, the way I see it is that Kamala Harris is going to be the real leader of the Democratic Party in the next 10 to 15 years. I think that she will be, you know, the next torchbearer and the next um, big influential big influential thinker who shapes our platform for years to come. Uh, I think Biden realizes that she has this potential and uh, it's really just a, a, a step in the ladder for Kamala Harris to become president. Uh, do you think, Jack, that she will spend her time as vice president like clamoring to be president or campaigning for that in some way? Yes, I, I do. Uh, but in some ways... Is that a bad thing? It's not an amazing thing, but I recognize that that's... Uh, it has to happen, and I'm not, uh, and it's been that way for previous vice presidents in the past as well. Uh, but I am worried that she spends pretty much her whole term doing that rather than uh, the couple last two years or so. I, I don't think that'll interfere with her job uh, too much, so I don't see it as a huge issue. But yeah, it's it's not the best thing in the world. Yeah, Griffin, do you see Kamala Harris as the shoe-in pick for 2024 if Biden wins and serves one term? Uh, Potentially. Now, one thing about Kamala Harris is that if she does very little as vice president, then she might not have as much to point to if she wants to run for president in 2024. Additionally, if Biden uh, serves one full term as president, he doesn't die in office or resign, and Kamala is elected from like the vice president, she, she wins the presidency in 2024. There's actually a bit of a precedent that's occurred. Every time a vice president is elected president in their own right, they only serve one term. For example, George H.W. Bush, he was vice president under Reagan. He was elected in his own right, and then he only served one term. Same happened with Martin Van Buren. Now, will it necessarily happen? <laughs> eh, but I mean, Kamala Harris will not, not have like... Uh, easy peasy walk in the park in order to become president certainly i'm not sure how many parallels we can point to in 1804 and 2020 but i get your point um in the case of george h.w bush a popular administration their vice president being the next step in that presidential lineage is the voters get sick of having multiple presidents from the same party in a row that's why we've had you know 
Trump Republican, Obama Democrat, Bush Clinton, Bush. You know, so it's um, the voters don't like contingency. They don't like consistency in their party uh, who's occupying the presidency. So uh, the Democrat, the long term demographics do favor Democrats. I think a lot of states Democrats will be competitive in in the, new, in the next 10 years. And I think we're going to see more Democrats being elected than Republicans. But I agree with you that if Kamala does rise to the presidency, that it could be, I mean, we're thinking way ahead here, but it could be a bad transition. It could go straight back to the Republicans after a lot of years in the mind. No, we're thinking way too far ahead. And- uh, does this uh, impact any of your uh, chances? If the election were today, do you guys think Biden would win? Yeah. Uh, if it were today, yeah. yeah I, do you guys think yeah, Biden probably. Is Yeah. Yeah. So does this... Uh, does this impact your long-term view no. of whether no, Biden will win or not? Impact. Do you think this puts yeah. chances up? Doesn't impact it at all. Well, it's an interesting yeah. pick. Does anyone else well, have some this is thoughts more about, on Kamala Harris? I think, yeah. in some ways, the most important part of this uh, search for a vice president by uh, Biden, and one of the reasons, and one of the ways he did it so well, is that we really saw a. So, All right. Uh, sorry. Yeah. What I sorry was uh, saying is that um, I think what the Biden campaign has done really well is during this vice presidential search, they've elevated uh, a lot of uh, young, new uh, leaders of the Democratic Party, especially uh, women and women of color. Uh, you take examples like uh, Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms, uh, Gretchen Whitmer, uh, uh, Val Demings. Tammy Baldwin, uh, Tammy Duckworth, just the list goes on and on. And they've been really promoted to national names. And I think that bodes well for their uh, future hopes and the future of the party, really. Yeah, that can be an upside of the big Veep stake speculation that went on. I guess we've been talking about this for since March, really. But we've gotten to know these candidates. I think it sets people up for good things. You look at, uh, you know, people who are snubs. Uh, four years ago for Democrats or Republicans, they've often gone on to do bigger, better things. So, um, you know, no, this is, this, I definitely agree with you. I mean, I don't think Keisha Lance Bottoms was on our radar at all before, yeah, you know, the much. last few months. So, and I think we'd regard her as a rising star of the party because she has charisma. She's really smart and I'm glad she was considered. And it's not her, it's not her year right now, but she can rise up later. Yep. But right now it's, um, it's Kamala's turn and it's, it just seems like a, smart pick for the time being uh you know picking someone who has their own very strong base in the primary you know was a rising star but now has a second chance to go back at them uh griffin how do you think she will handle the debate against mike pence this it's not going to be for a couple well i think uh do you think that she'll be she will i mean people are saying like she'll destroy mike pence do you think she'll overpower him in that debate i don't know if she'd necessarily overpower him but i know know that kamala harris will be a tough debate opponent for pence i think she'll be very stern she'll be very focused and concentrated i think she will uh be very aggressive in going after pence uh pence is much more passive than trump is um at least he was in 2016 when he was debating against tim kane but I think Kamala will be more of a challenge to Pence than Tim Kaine was in 2016. And in some ways, the the fact that uh, Mike Pence is a little less or a lot less aggressive uh, 
than Trump and a lot less grandiose. Uh, I think that makes Kamala absolutely pumming, pummeling him like a little less likely. I think it's hard to destroy Mike Pence in a debate because he's just not very remarkable. But I do think she'll win and she will do well in that respect. Yeah, I mean, we talk about how the, the debates don't really matter too much anymore. Uh, the vice presidential debates probably don't have yeah. a huge effect on the election. Um, four years ago, I have very faint memories about the debate, but Tim Kaine was not the best debater in the world, no. to put it lightly. And Mike Pence uh, probably won that debate, but like it was a muddled talking debate where they were interrupting. I think that um, Kamala Harris will definitely go after... Mike Pence in that debate, I think that she will have pre-planned lines of attack like she did in the primaries. She will do her research, which is something that I think she's very good at doing. I'm not too worried about that. I'm more worried about Biden going up against Trump. But I think if we can try to elevate Kamala Harris as a speaker, we saw, I mean, did you guys see her speech uh, yeah. two days ago in Delaware? It was a really, really good speech. And she's just a personality that people can connect with that you know, she's inspiring. Uh, she's what Biden needed. And I'm so glad that we have her voice on this campaign trail and that she, you know, can put herself into this race in this way. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so Kamala Harris uh, should be interesting. Do you think the, uh, I guess we'll, we're segueing a bit into our next topic, but do you think her speech at the convention next week, Griffin, is a big moment for her where she can really make her imprint? I think so. Several Democrats like Barack Obama were able to have like a breakout at the DNC. Although this Obama was uh, before he became a senator even, let alone president. However, I think Kamala can definitely have this breakout speech that she delivers at the DNC. Very possible. Yeah, I mean, it could be the headlining moment of the DNC. And if we're uh, switching topics entirely here, uh, our... Joe, usually the camp, usually the nominee speech is the headline where they set their vision forth for what the next few months can look like, what their administration's going to look like if they win. Um, Jack, do you think Joe Biden is capable of delivering that kind of amazing speech or I think, will he not be the headline? I, I'm not sure that he'll be the headline. I think Joe Biden is a fine uh, speaker in those moments. I think he's pretty good. And obviously he's, he's known for just making small mistakes but they get elevated to the point it's just it's so insignificant in the grand scheme of things uh i think what joe biden thrives in is the smaller moments the smaller speeches where he's addressing uh a less group of people uh where he can really be very personal with them because that's the kind of guy uh president or joe biden is so I think at a grand stage like the convention with a huge audience, you won't be as good as you could be, but I don't foresee it being an issue. Well, I think that Joe Biden will be speaking from his uh, basement in Delaware. I think the convention... Uh, actually, all I, the think he's, I think he's speaking at a, a convention center in Delaware uh, with Kamala, but it'll be broadcast. Oh, okay, uh, okay. Yeah. So that's going to be an interesting dynamic. I know... Four years ago, I remember Hillary Clinton's big convention party. They had balloons, they had streamers. It was, it was a huge celebration for the first, you know, women nominee. She gave a terrific speech, and her poll numbers shot up after that. It was her highest point in that campaign. Uh, Griffin, do you see a convention boost at all coming from this? Well, the conventions 
not going to have nearly as much media coverage as there was in 2016 because it's not being held in person and there's a lot more going on at this stage than there was in uh, 2016. Um, I think if there is a boost, it'll be pretty minimal. And also Biden is doing better at this stage of the race than Hillary was pre-convention. Yeah. So he can't go up that much. There, there's like got to be a ceiling for Biden that he's going to hit. It'll be interesting, the dynamic uh, in the DNC next week. It's uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday night. And uh, four years ago, I keep making these comparisons, but four years ago, the DNC was overrun by Bernie or bus people booing Hillary Clinton, you know, <laughs> holding up signs like, remember Benghazi. Like, it's, they're going to, how worried are you, Jack, that uh, there's going to be a lot of resistance? I know Bernie Sanders is speaking, but do you foresee any problems from the more liberal wing of the party? I'm not as, not I'm not as worried as I was in, in 2016, because I think this uh, primary was less contested in some ways. I think Joe Biden was the very clear winner. Uh, and I think uh, Bernie Sanders himself seems to have more respect for Joe Biden than he did for Hillary Clinton. Uh, I think because uh, Sanders and Biden have a good working relationship. So I don't really foresee it being as big of an event as it was in 2016. And I think there'll be limited kinds of uh, interactions like that. Plus it's, right. it's, and, it's also you know, limited as it's virtual and, and there'll be very, it'll be harder to do things like that. Yeah. I, I'm not as worried about the Bernie or bus people this time around. I think that they real some of them, most of them realize the severity of the situation we're in and how we need to rally around the candidate, even if it means, grudgingly doing so but um i will say that aoc got a convention spot and she only gets 60 seconds to talk and i'm not the biggest aoc fan i think she does some things well i think that she doesn't do some other things well but 60 seconds to talk for probably one of the most rising stars in the party that's pretty much that's pretty insulting in my opinion and i really don't think that the convention is a time to try to blot out people from the wing of the party you're not looking to promote it should be more of a time where you look to unite people but i'm not really a fan of that uh, griffin what are your thoughts on you know that there's not many progressive speakers at all and there's just bernie and aoc and aoc only gets a minute is aoc the only one getting a minute i believe so i think Kasich gets like Kasich, a republican gets like well enough time he <laughs> needs yeah <laughs> That's, it's uh, a tough issue. It's a tough issue. Yeah, I mean, it, it is really a tough issue. I was thinking if they were going to let other progressive Democrats like Ayanna Presley and Rashida Tlaib speak, then maybe things could... I don't think they're in. Yeah, but they, they aren't in. Yeah. That's the thing. Like, if they were in, there would be a lot more pre- progressive, like, gathering towards Biden. But uh, given that only really Bernie and... Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez are speaking, then eh, so not not as much enthusiasm towards Biden amongst progressives during the DNC. Joe Biden Definitely. is a moderate candidate. Uh, uh-huh. It makes sense that most of the speakers there are going to be moderate. And obviously, AOC has a huge national platform. But you put it in perspective, she's a House representative from one of the most liberal districts in the country. True. I think... Uh, obviously, Bernie Sanders is one of the keynote speakers, uh, I think, for that night. And AOC obviously gets some time to talk, which I think is good. I probably would have had her speak for longer. But 
you can't compare something like that, in my opinion, to John Kasich, who I think is far more important at this convention than AOC is. AOC can do very limited things. John Kasich uh, is a very interesting proposition. I think. What are your could, thoughts? I yeah. think right now it doesn't look like we're going to win Ohio, but I do think he can definitely help us there. I don't know if he can help us to the extent of victory, but I think uh, he can be very useful in that instance. Moderate Republicans or independents can watch this national convention and sure they'll see uh, Bernie Sanders and AOC representing the more progressive wing, but they'll also see that, they're welcome in this party that we have a big tent and that even if you weren't always a Democrat or aren't the most liberal person there is that you're welcome here and we need to unite to defeat Trump. No, I definitely agree with you. I, I see people on Twitter just, uh, you know, slamming the addition of John Kasich, you know, but um, no, I, I definitely agree uh, that, you know, he was the voice of reason in the 2016 Republican primaries. And, I don't agree with everything he's done in his career. I think that there's a lot of things in his career that are bad. Mm -hmm. But he's a reasonable Republican who I fully respect. I I think he's doing the morally right thing voting for Joe Biden. And it's great that we can showcase that. But here's where I do slightly disagree with you. I think that both AOC and John Kasich have almost equally important things to offer to the table. Um, I would like to see a rally in the future with Biden and AOC. And I don't know if we're going to get that. But I, I don't we need to we put AOC in the, into this campaign more because right now, most of the progressives, uh, most of the kids our age who, you know, are even Democratic socialists will vote for Joe Biden. Uh, but they won't do much more than that. If we can get some kind of like uh, some movement to, for these people to organize for Joe Biden, to, to volunteer for Joe Biden, to, you know, really promote his campaign instead of just like, a, OK, we'll we'll vote for him. Fine. I think that's really important. And of course, John Kasich is important. There's a lot of really moderate Republicans that I know that, and I'm sure plenty exist, that are voting for Joe Biden. And if John Kasich is the, you know, the shining light example of that, then that's great. But I do think we need to showcase both wings of how big our tent is equally. I'm uh, 90% sure that there will not be a Biden AOC rally. And that's because AOC herself does, I don't really think she wants to. I mean, she has said yeah. she probably will vote for Biden, but she hasn't officially endorsed him. She's obviously she's not very enthusiastic about the issue. Yeah. So I, I don't think it's we have to chase a part of our party that we're obviously giving some time to. And I, I do wish she had gotten some more time, but we have to put things in perspective and realize that, you know, there's bigger issues at hand here. Yeah. Can Griffin, I also add? Yes. Yeah. If AOC does have a rally with Joe Biden, <laughs> And that could play into Trump's hands. Now, uh, Joe Biden is a moderate Democrat. However, if he does a rally with AOC and AOC is peddling very progressive talking points and Biden's standing right alongside her, imagine how many ads the Trump campaign and the national GOP would run for sure. featuring Joe Biden standing next to AOC. That, that's exactly what the Repub- like the Trump yeah. Republicans would th- do. So- they know it's impossible to paint Joe Biden as a radical Democrat because his yeah. whole life he's been a moderate. But, that's, that's what but they're what they're doing, doing what they're is doing. they're tra- well, no, what they're trying to say is people around him will convince him. They're saying if you if you vote for Joe Biden, the radical left will like manipulate him 
and they'll get their policy issues. And I think that, like well, Griffin said, yeah. that'll play into them if they have a rally together and she's spouting these ideas while he's standing alongside. That definitely seems like the line of the line of attack that Trump was settled on over uh, being elderly or being connected to China um, or Ukraine. Uh, that definitely seems like Trump's main line of attack right now. But how effective do you think it is, though? Do you think there like is an old person in Florida, a swing voter, who's like, oh, I'm not going to vote for Biden because he's a puppet of AOC and Bernie Sanders? It's do you think that's a winning research? Potentially, I think that's one of the best things you can not best things, best but things I think he can do. Yeah. There's a limited amount of things you can attack Joe Biden on, and that's what makes him a very good candidate. And I think one of them is what Trump is doing, and I think that makes sense for his own campaign. Probably so, probably so. But let's let's hope we can find a way that works for everybody where the progressives get more. But. You know, our odds look better than they were four years ago, and I'm, I'm happier at this point with the demographic we have and the coalition of voters we have than I was with Hillary Clinton. Um, yeah, so I don't know. It's, go- it's going to be an interesting week. Uh, Griffin, you, did you see all the speakers? Is there anyone that you're looking for could deliver a big speech to, you know, raise their profile a bit? I think Keish Lance Bottoms is speaking. You didn't look at that um, thing? Yeah. Yeah, I actually did not. Did it just come out? It came out a few days ago, and I was like looking oh. at it. But um, they have all the major people speaking. They have Warren. They have Booker. They have, um, I mean, of course, Kamala. But they have uh, it's it's Buttigieg is speaking. Uh, I'm Andrew Yang is speaking. Looking forward yeah. to Monday most. I think uh, Monday, uh, uh, Senator Klobuchar, uh, Governor Cuomo, uh, Gretchen Whitmer, and obviously uh, Jim Clyburn. Clyburn who was yeah. huge for the Biden campaign. And then the keynote speakers will be uh, Bernie Sanders and Michelle Obama. So Monday is the day I think I'm looking forward to most. I think there's a lot of good speakers there, and I'm interested to uh, see what they say. I, I do think uh, Governor Cuomo could definitely uh, kind of uh, follow in his father uh, Mario's footsteps and deliver oh, a yeah. huge uh, speech uh, based on what he's faced uh, combating COVID. So I think that's someone to look out for, potentially. Cuomo's been good. Um, one thing I will say is that uh, they've completely wiped Mike Bloomberg from this campaign. He doesn't get to speak. And um, he, uh, uh, there's a, they're, they're doing, some point in the week, they're, I know they're doing like a, a Zoom call with all the Democratic candidates. And they included like pretty much every candidate except for Mike Bloomberg. Like Seth Moulton, who never qualified for a debate, is in. And Mike Bloomberg was not invited. And it's just like, I'm a big fan of Mike Bloomberg. I'm we not know. a fan of everything he's done. I'm not a fan of everything Mike Bloomberg's done. He's done some bad things, and his presidential campaign probably deserved to fail. But it is saddening that someone who's given that much money to the DNC and has been so much of a contributor to Biden's causes, and he really just shaped the race in a good way for me. I don't know. Probably the smart decision, though. There would have been a lot of mad people if Bloomberg had talked. But it is frustrating. I look up to him. Yeah. But... Yeah, I, I kind of agree with you that it, I, I probably would have given him a speaker slot, obviously not a keynote, but you're you're right in that he really has done a ton of donating to Democratic causes and probably is going to continue doing that this election and be a huge factor in that way. So I, yeah, I definitely he, am appreciative of his, his efforts there. Yeah, he gave five million to Stacey Abrams, uh, Fair Fight 2020, which uh, aims to... And voter expression, so that's a that's a good thing. But 
Speaking of voter suppression, yeah, um, let's move on. Segways yeah. are on point today. <laughs> Ooh, wow, that was so good. Anyways, um, Trump has announced plans to defund the U.S. Postal Service. $25 billion that it needs. And you might be wondering, why is the Postal Service such a big issue? Well, I'll tell you why. It's because of mail-in ballots. Because people do not want to go in person to vote, which is understandable in the time of COVID. So... The whole controversy the last few months has been about whether there will be universal mail-in ballots. How can we request them? What states will have them available to offer? How will that affect the election? But Trump, knowing that the best way to win is not to try to win the election, but try to fight the election, is trying to defund the U.S. Postal Service. And um, Griffin, how concerned are you on a level to one to ten? Um, is this voter suppression? This is, this is voter suppression. Yeah. I, I would say so. This is voter suppression. Given that so many people are going to rely on using the postal service to vote, and also the postal service is very important to uh, many members of low-income communities, yep. um, it is used heavily by uh, like poorer communities uh, around the country, and because the postal service is far cheaper than USPS or uh, FedEx, so. The, the defunding the postal service in this time, not the move, not the move. And not, not to mention, uh, as Griffin was saying, it's importance to certain communities. Uh, Republicans want everything to be privatized with this the postal service, and they want you know UPS and FedEx to take over. But when private companies take over like that, you know UPS and FedEx don't deliver to communities where it's not profitable, like certain uh, rural areas and uh, places like that. They just won't deliver. And certain people wouldn't have the ability to send mail, which is would really be a huge thing. So not only is it important uh, for this election, it's important long term. Uh, and it's, it's in more ways than voting somewhat of the foundation of our democracy. Right. And the dense urban areas where, um, you know, Democrats often collect the most votes are often the areas where it's hardest for the postal service, you know, get in and do their job and where they need some extra funding to navigate those places. I mean, the suburbs are where the postal service usually, you know, gets the most uh, needs the least amount of government funding. So it definitely reeks of a politicization of a government service for, you know, winning an election. And it's just really saddening that the Donald Trump campaign has turned in this moment to try to not win the election on fair grounds, but to try to almost steal it, if I could use that word, and uh, try to take away a essential service for many people and, you know, diminishing their right to vote in a very... In a, and it comes down on a lot of marginalized communities. You know, like, we see... Uh, time after time again, uh, Brian Kemp in Georgia, making it harder for uh, urban voters in Georgia who tend to vote Democrat to vote. And that's always, you know, a reoccurring problem that's going to happen again this year. So it's voter suppression is one of the most underlooked issues of this campaign. And it, if this race tightens, it could really be the thing that sets Donald Trump over the line if he wins this election. And there could be a whole lot of controversy, maybe even a Supreme Court case that results from this. So, yeah, it's super concerning. Um, I'm not sure how, how Democrats go to fight this, though. It really seems like there's very little uh, Congress can do or ordinary citizens can do on this. Well, but, it's, yeah. it, it's important to look to at uh, 
like the longer term denigration of the U.S. Postal Service, because, uh, you know, the U.S. Postal Service was doing very well up until uh, a couple of years ago when Republicans decided that it would have to save money to pay for its employees pensions uh, like 75 for 75 years in the future, which no companies ever do, which made it very unprofitable. And then uh, in the Obama administration, as the board of directors was thinning, he tried to, uh, President Obama tried to appoint more board of directors for the U.S. Postal Service. I think he tried to get through three Democrats and two Republicans to make sure it got confirmed from the Senate. But uh, Senator Bernie Sanders actually blocked those nominees uh, due to his uh, connections to postal service unions. And that's why Trump has had these open seats that he's been able to confirm with the U.S. Senate. And these board of directors are paramount in making the Postal Service less efficient. Right. And one of them, uh, is it Rob LaJoy? One of them is, uh, I think, the chief one in this effort is really undermining uh, it. Even um, trying to diminish the amount of mail-in ballots that are being sent in the, uh, you know, when the Postal Service does do its job, it really is just politicized to the worst degree. And it's a shame that we can't snap out of it. Um, Griffin, uh, what are your thoughts on uh, the universal mail-in ballot that's uh, being distributed? I think Nevada announced that every citizen will get a mail-in ballot. They don't even have to request one. Is this a good move for state governments to do? Yes, because a lot of people are not going to vote in person. And it is much safer to vote by mail. There's far less of a risk for COVID-19 transmission. And if I'm not mistaken, Nevada's, is Nevada the first state to do so? Because I believe other states like Oregon and Washington already use mail-in ballots. Well, I mean, Nevada might be the first swing state to do so. So Yeah, I mean. Yeah. I, I, I mean, it depends on what, if you call Nevada a swing state. but um, I, I think it's like powder blue at this point. It's like... It's yeah, it's gonna go for Biden. But universal mail-in ballots help, and I do hope that in other states where it actually does matter, we can get that effort underway. Because for people who are very busy, don't have a lot of time on their hands, or don't have the materials necessary, it can be tough to request a mail-in ballot. Uh, it can be tough to go through that whole process. So having one delivered to every doorstep is great. But with Republicans who know that when more people vote, they lose, it is their nightmare. So. They uh, have been blocking efforts to do so, but let's hope that the mail-in ballots can get delivered wherever possible. But um, yeah, so any last last thoughts on the postal service controversy right now? It does seem like a, you know, a classic Trump move before an election. Try to delegitimize the forces that could stop him from winning. But yeah, so uh, we've talked about. Kamala Harris, we've talked about the convention, we've talked about the Postal Service. I don't know how many minutes we've done in total, but I feel like we might, we might have covered it all. Uh, does anyone have any last thoughts on any news and politics this week regarding elections or anything else? Not in particular. I guess we're good. So to all our listeners, please uh, rate and review our podcast. It really helps people find us. And thank you for listening. We'll have more episodes, plenty more episodes uh, this summer and into the fall as we get ready for the big, big 2020 elections. Bye, everybody. Thanks.